the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Welcome to What a Life with Paul Batura. Paul is a best-selling author, writer, Fox News contributor, and vice president of communications at Focus on the Family. This is a show about the extraordinary value of every life. It's a show about movers, shakers, and culture shapers. And now, here's your host, Paul Batura. Well, thanks, Dr. Bill. You know, that's Dr. Bill Meyer. He's a friend of mine, and he's a friend of our guest today, too. But it is great to be with you today. I love this time each week. You know, I grew up as a kid uh, with the radio dream. I was, uh, the radio was always on in our house, on the kitchen counter, in fact. My mom had it tuned to WOR 710 on the AM dial. Uh, that was talk radio in the morning, and then in the afternoon, she would go to WMCA, which was afternoon Christian talk in our home. Um, but if we weren't talking to one another in our kitchen, we were listening uh, to the radio, and we and the radio, in essence, was talking to us. My mom said she really learned, in fact, how to have a conversation by listening to the radio. It was rambling with gambling in the morning, which was the Guinness Book of World Records Longest running morning show. I got a chance to work on that uh, in college. And then it was followed by a woman named Arlene Francis. Now, I don't know if anyone knows that name. Uh, Arlene Francis was an actress of another era, uh, but she actually transitioned from being an actress to being a talk show host. And she hosted a midday show on WOR uh, with all kinds of people. And my mom said listening to her was like eavesdropping on a really interesting conversation. So in some ways, that's a little bit about what we're doing each time we meet here. Uh, My goal is to highlight interesting people each week who have something to say, something to teach us, and again, of course, something that and someone that we can learn from. Well, our guest today fits that bill. John Fuller is the longtime co-host of Focus on the Family. In fact, he sat in that seat uh, in the Focus studio longer than anyone else, and I'm not even sure if he has an equal out there. Uh, He first assumed the co-host role uh, about 23 years ago, and he's hosted the program with both the ministry's founder, Dr. James Dobson, and its current president, Jim Daly. Now, you might say John Fuller is the Ed McMahon of Christian teaching and talk radio. He may quibble with that. I know he's quibbling with the fact that he's on a show called Legends because John seems to think that a legend has to be dead, but there is such a thing, John, as living legends. And I put you in that category. It is great to have you on the program. You are very kind. And it's so fun to uh, to join you for this. I, I saw somebody that wrote, legend is a lie that has attained the dignity of age. <laughs> so I know I've gotten some age along the way. So maybe maybe that's the definition we'll go with for this, uh, this well, particular conversation. I think that's fair. And we can always go with the Wait, fact that, that I started as a lie. <laughs> We're legends in our own mind. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But I want to get it. There's a lot of different directions we can go in here, John. I want to get into first and foremost, why did you reject me back in 1996? Oh, you're bringing that up again? Well, it's broke my heart and I'm still sort of getting over it. Every week. But what happened? I mean, what what was it about me that just you felt the need to say no? This is so poetic and so ironic given what we're doing right now because 
I, I said aloud when I read your application and some of the accompanying materials, he's really a good writer. He, Paul is obviously a gifted writer. And I knew you had some radio backgr- background, but I wasn't, I was looking for somebody with more hands-on experience. And of course, now you're doing radio yourself, so I'll hire you this time if you <laughs> apply for another job. But it, it worked out okay, and you're my poster child for what happens Good things happen to people John doesn't hire. Well, it, it, it worked out great. And, of course, I'm joking. And I have to tell you, John, um, you know, it was fortuitous that you rejected me at that time. Uh, you know, it, it, it just worked out. The Lord worked it. And I have to say, for anyone out there who's listening who has to give bad news to someone, hmm. follow John Fuller's uh, model and follow oh. his, the way he did it. Because <laughs> I received the rejection letter, and it was a nice note. I mean, focus on the family does things well. I mean, we're a— uh, for years and years and ever since the beginning, we do things in a gracious way. And the letter that John wrote was, uh, you know, matter of fact to the point. But then in the bottom, John, you wrote a PS and mm-hmm. you said, may the Lord continue to use you. And it was in your handwriting. I know you had done it. And it really, it really ministered to me because mm-hmm. it was a disappointment like anybody would. But two years later, I came back and reapplied for yeah. a different role and off we go. So, and I like to take some credit for a couple of years after that thinking, Paul Batura, he'd be a great fit for this role. And that kind of began a a close collaboration in uh, the media world. And now we get to sit next to each other in the halls of focus. That that is fun. And and here we are sitting across from each other in a radio studio. So that's crazy. It's fun the way the Lord works. Yeah. Uh, John, looking back on your life, we're going to go all the way back, but I'm just curious. Has your life turned out the way you thought it would? Not in the least, but I'm not sure what I thought it would. I mean, I, uh, Certainly every kid has dreams, and I had dreams of something. I'm sure I had dreams of sports. I know my brother wanted to play football. I don't think I ever aspired to be a professional athlete. Um, I think at one point I did aspire to radio. Um, I had a little cassette recorder, a little Panasonic cassette recorder. I got the upgrade for Christmas because (laughs) it was one-touch recording. You didn't have to have two separate buttons. And when I was, I don't know, 12? 13, uh, a friend of mine and I did a radio station shtick. I mean, we we played records and held the microphone up by the speaker, and we did the little uh, banter in between the songs. And I probably still have that tape somewhere, some of those tapes. But I think even then I was captured with the medium, not necessarily gifted to do it in a particular way, or even thinking I might do radio. It was much later. Um, let's see, it would have been early 20s when somebody said, hey, I hear a smile in your voice. Have you ever considered doing radio? And that little comment from somebody that worked in radio made a big impact on me. Mm. Well, let me let me go back even before 12 years okay. old. Dr. Kevin Lehman is a popular guest on your program, yours and Jim's program. Yeah. And, and I love him on a lot of different levels. But he talks about, he, he was on your show once and he was talking about childhood memories. Uh-huh. And as Kevin, the way Dr. Lehman, Dr. Kevin Lehman explained it was he said, as a kid, you're going through life trying to figure things out. It's a big mystery. And he said that when you ha- stumble upon an answer as a kid to something that you may be thinking about, he said, there's a chemical released in your brain. It's something, mm. something of a wash. And it, in, in essence, kind of emblazons that memory in the forefront. So you're able to recall it. Yeah. So I love talking about early memories mm. because I think they're telling. What would you say is your earliest oh. as a little boy 
whether it was two, three, four, or five. Yeah, and I would say this is informative, but one of the earliest things I can remember is when I was about three, we moved from Chicago up to central Wisconsin. My parents uh, were looking at a house. I was with them, and I remember uh, three and a half, four years old, just looking at this house. It had a two-story, kind of an open ceiling living room, and it had a balcony. And I remember thinking, that is so high up there. And I used to go up into that balcony because they did buy that house and look down. And it was special at Christmas. What's down there? Shiny objects. You know, the, the lights are reflecting off of some wrapping paper. So those are probably some of my earliest memories uh, just in terms of life generally. In terms of friends, it's just a lot of quintessential Americana, you know, playing different neighborhood games with kids in the neighborhood uh, doing all sorts of different things. Now, you're, a, you're a prolific letter writer, note card writer. I, I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in with you where the meeting is going on, you're listening, you're participating, but in any downtime, you're, you're writing a note. I try because there are so many people to reject and write nice PS letters. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've gotten good no, at I'm it. I'm joking about that. But who, uh, growing up, do you stay in touch with any of those uh, people? You know, I do have a cadre of high school friends and we have stayed in touch loosely. I live a thousand miles away, um, had the occasion to go back earlier this year to, I think I shared with you that uh, a friend passed away and um, she was about 70. So she was a little bit older. I wasn't super close with her, but she was in the same kind of circles. And so uh, my best friend from high school and I ended up spending a lot of time together. And it was like high school was last year and no time had passed. We have, we've talked over the years. But uh, I would say that, that Kevin and Stu and Nancy and um, Jeff and John and Lisa, and uh, there were several of, of those folks that were really significant uh, for me, especially in high school, um, as I came to know Jesus and started to walk uh, the Christian life. They were, they were um, foundational in my understanding of what is grace, what is love, who is God, and how do you live for him? Mm, yeah, the power of friends. Mm, C.S. Lewis. Absolutely. I love the way C.S. Lewis wrote about that, that you know, a friend is someone that when you stumble upon them and they say something and you say, oh, you too, you, you, you're thinking this too. The voice you're hearing is John Fuller. He's the longtime co-host of Focus on the Family. I'm Paul Batura. This is What a Life, Lessons from Legends. Uh, John, you talked about um, a kind of teen beginning to you know, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, you didn't necessarily have, you had that play uh, radio, <laughs> you know, a lot of us did in our basements. We listened to the radio. Um, did you go to bed listening to the Cubs, White Sox? Well, for me, the, the big, yes, uh, absolutely the Cubs, not the White, so- White Sox. It was the north side and the, and the western suburbs of Chicago. And my dad was definitely a Cubs fan. Um, for me, the, the big radio moment, um, a couple come to mind. One, and I don't know if I've ever told somebody this. So this is fun. Uh, World Series, I was in grade school, maybe fourth or fifth grade. And I knew the World Series was a big deal. And I knew that my little radio, about the size of a phone, but fatter, um, was special. And so I, I pulled apart the case. I spray painted it. And I remember taking it to school. So on the playground, I could listen to some of the World Series. I don't know if I ever did. Um, certainly we listened to Paul Harvey with some frequency and you and I've had really good conversations about 
old uh, radio memories like that. Mm. There was a there was a polka show my dad listened to. There ain't no bones in a hot dog <laughs> <laughs> in heaven. There ain't no beer. Things like that. Yeah. You know, good wholesome entertainment. I, I I wonder. People don't have a younger people today don't necessarily have an appreciation. Maybe they do now that they carry phones around with them all the time. But my brother, who's about your age, tells a similar story about bringing a transistor radio. He was in the eighth grade. It was 1969. It was the Mets Orioles World Series. And he said he had a, his science teacher was a guy named Mr. Rabong, which is a funny name. But Mr. Rabong uh, was a bit out to lunch, according to my brother. And my brother had a, a, a wire and a small earbud in his, as they, they didn't call it an earbud, yeah. of course. But he, when he was caught, he told Mr. Rabong it was a hearing aid. <laughs> and Mr. Rabong went with it and didn't. And my brother got to listen to whatever game of the 1969 World now, Series. Ladies and gentlemen, don't encourage your children to lie, but just accept the fact that they probably do. Service announcement brought to you by John Fuller <laughs> and Focus on the Family. So, John, you were in high school. Yep. Was there a high school radio station? Uh, there was not. No, my first introduction to radio was um, post high school. I was in college and. Uh, Taking some time off, I worked with some friends at a, at a bicycle shop, and um, it was a tight little community. We just had like seven or eight of us all together working at this bike shop, and we had the radio playing, and I don't know if she's still out there, but Sue Chikoris uh, was an afternoon host at a local radio station, and we would call Sue, and we would talk to her, and we would pass the phone around and keep her busy for half of her shift. I don't know what possessed this woman to be on the phone during songs and talk to us and say, just a minute, or, oh, and she'd go on and do a stop set or an, some sort of an announcement. She she was just a very friendly person on air and off. And we struck up some sort of a, not a weird, but some sort of a relationship. We were fanboys of Sue, and we would take turns talking to her as we were working on bikes. And one day, she's the person who said, John, I hear a smile in your voice. Have you ever thought of doing radio? And I said, well, I, I, I don't know. And she helped me put a little tape together. Mm. And uh, almost concurrent with that, a friend was working at a nearby college radio station. It was not a little hodunk station. It was a 100,000-watt FM. That's as big as they get. It had a huge reach, and it was very professionally run by students. So professional in air quotes. And uh, so about that same time, I'm doing a demo tape. I'm reaching out to some of the radio stations, and my buddy says, hey, do you want to do some some work with me on Sunday mornings? We have a Christian music radio show. The station lets us do whatever we want, and it's about three and a half, four hours long. Okay. So I started going over there and helping Art Pavelski, who last I knew was a pastor in upstate New York. And... Uh, and Art encouraged me and gave me some, some lessons, and then the radio station had some opportunities, and I got involved as a music director, picking music and uh, scheduling things, and it was, it was just fun. I really enjoyed it, but I still didn't see it as something I would do professionally. What did you think you were going to do? I thought I was going to be a photographer. That oh. was the passion that kind of started in high school. Um, it allowed me, a rather shy, introverted person, to be at events and to do things and to tell a story. Um, but through images that I could take from a, a safe distance, if you will. Yeah. I didn't invade people's space. I didn't get in people's face. And uh, I really was more a chronicler. And, uh, and that's actually why I moved to Texas from Wisconsin to work as a photographer. But that didn't work out so good 
And the radio thing, well, there was an opportunity to join a Christian radio station. I had come to Christ. I was praying about what to do. I was finding photography fulfilling, but I knew I didn't have the passion to pursue it like I needed to. And so I kind of fell into radio because I had known it before. I had done okay at it. And um, the rest, as they might say, (laughs) could be history. We'll We'll see. And I'm, I'm sure you've thought about this. It's not that much of a stretch to go from taking photography, taking photographs to, you know, taking pictures to, you know, putting images on people's minds yeah. through the medium of radio well, as I a li- storyteller. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and, and my introduction to radio was through music. So at the college station, it was a lot of music. And try to tell a story or convey values through the music I was choosing to play and I could choose to play uh, at that college station. And then... Um, in Texas, it was let the story speak the truth to the listeners because it was a Christian music station. It was about encouraging believers and, and encouraging people through the faith. And so uh, we did learn the art of wedding truth and music and meeting people where they're at emotionally, which was really good training for what I've gotten to do the last uh, 30 years at Focus. I'll say, let, you, you kind of skimmed over becoming a believer, which is obviously a transformational moment in it, your it life. Was, yes. So tell us how it happened. Well, was that, it a moment or was it a season? Yeah, it was, a, it was several moments because I, I got involved in a good Youth for Christ group in high school. And uh, those people had something. After about three or four or five months, I said, what do they have? I want what they have. And I realized they have the love of God. These people love Jesus, and I was a miss. I wasn't an athlete. Uh, I wasn't. A, I wasn't a big, you know, nerd. I, I was just a nobody in a school of almost eighteen hundred, and so I just was not very confident. I didn't have a lot of friends. These people welcomed me in. They were safe. They were affirming. We got into things that, wow, really triggered me in, uh, intellectually to think through. Well, what do I believe? I've been raised with some of these truths, but what do I believe? And so they loved me into the kingdom. And I, there was a night I prayed. I prayed the prayer, you know, the sinner's prayer, and nothing happened. And so I prayed it again the next night, and nothing happened. And I prayed it like a week. And then uh, a dear man, Dick Bishop, was, the, uh, was the, the head of Youth for Christ in central Wisconsin. He caught me in the hall. And said, how's it going, John? I, I told him, well, I, I've been praying this prayer and nothing's happening. I'm expecting something to happen. And he said, well, John, this is a walk of faith. And if you've prayed, Jesus has said yes, and he's part of your life now. And by faith, you walk ahead and believe that. I have never forgotten that lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, Dick influenced my life tremendously. And you asked earlier about friends. It was pretty rich to be able to sit down at that funeral uh, at a meal and get together with Dick and his wife and say, you all influenced me. You had no idea how God was going to use me, but you were just being faithful. There's a lesson. Be faithful to the people God has put in your life. Maybe he'll do something with them. Mm. It's a, a remarkable thing. And my life of faith has been kind of a slow obedience in the same direction, a long obedience in the same direction. And little did that gentleman know that he would influence you, who would then go on to influence literally millions of people yeah. for decades. Or at least talk with millions of people. I don't know how many I've influenced, but well, I, I certainly have had the opportunity to talk. And, and the irony, and you know this part of the story, uh, my wife wanted me to 
kind of promise that I would take her to the mission field before she would say yes. It wasn't a threat. It was just a, hey, this is really significant. I feel called to the mission field. And I said, I don't feel called to the mission field. I don't really, I don't know what that call thing is. But if God says go, I promise you I'll, I'll go. We have never lived outside the U.S. We've worked for nonprofits. I get to tell people about Jesus on this little radio show heard by millions worldwide every day for 20 plus years. I'm kind of a missionary. <laughs> You're more than a, <laughs> you know? yeah. So God's, absolutely God's economy is, is so rich and vibrant. Don't ever think the door is closed because he might actually fulfill a heart's desire in a different way. If you're tuning in and you're wondering, I know that voice. I know that voice. Where do I know that guy from? This is John Fuller, uh, host, co-host of Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. I'm Paul Batura. Uh, John and I get to work together. Uh, I get to work with John. And uh, we're talking today because I thought, you know, millions of people, we know millions of people tune in to Focus on the Family every day. They've been doing this for decades. Uh, we're so grateful for everyone who listens you uh, tune in to hear Jim, to hear John set up another guest. It's it's rare to actually hear about John because John uh, plays a supportive role. He will, uh, in essence, kind of set the ball and, and Jim either hits it or the guest hits it. Very humble guy, deferential guy. But I thought, you know what, it's, it's about time John step out in front here. Uh, not only is John co-host uh, of the program, he's an author in his own right. He wrote a book, uh, 10 years we, ago. We, let's well, let's we, clarify, Paul. We wrote a book together. Well, we did. First Time Dad. First Time Dad, The Stuff You Need to Know, which uh, I want to talk about that. But um, you mentioned Dina. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the spouse we choose, if you're going to pick the decisions you make in your life, there's probably, with the exception of Jesus, there's no one else, no other decision more important than who you marry. Mm-hmm. How did you meet Dina? Well, it was an online app, and I'm joking about <laughs> that because there was no internet uh, back in 1983. We met uh, on a church camp out. Um, I was in transition between photography and radio, um, and somebody said, hey, we're our, our church singles group is doing a camp out. Do you want to go? And I said, yeah, I grew up camping. Sure. And she hates me telling this story. So apologies, my dear. But this is how I remember it, and I'll make it fast. But I'm in the church parking lot. I'm 24. I'm about 24. And up the drive to the church parking lot where we're staging everything is a white 66 Chevy pickup. And it comes and it parks. There's a golden retriever in the, tr- in the truck bed. And out gets the driver, who is this long-haired brunette in bib overalls and bare feet. And I thought, she looks really interesting. I would like to get to know her. And so in my own stumbling, bumbling, introverted way, I got to know her that weekend. And then over the course of time, um, it became obvious that we should be dating. And so I asked her and she said, no. And there's a whole story on that. I'll just remind people. Now you know how it feels, John, to be rejected. (laughs) She didn't give me a PS letter either. What was that about? She said, no, I already know who I'm going to marry. And so I said, okay. So we just hung out a lot. And then I finally had to say, I can't keep hanging out because I'm, I'm developing feelings for you. And if it's not reciprocal, let's move on. So that's like a Friday night. She's like, okay, we'll, we'll take some space. The next morning she called and said, hey, I'm going to run some errands. Do you want to go along? I said, totally. <laughs> I couldn't keep away from her and she couldn't keep away from me. Uh, there was an obvious attraction there. And so we married uh, the next year. 
And that was uh, that was in 1984, so it's been a while. Wow. Yeah. And God's you, been really good to us. And you think it's going to work? I think I think it'll work. Um, <laughs> we just hit the empty nest phase this past year, and she's making no apologies. It's a good thing. So I encourage you, my brother Paul, there will be a day when it's you and Julie. Hmm. And um, now is when you build the relationship as you can. And when the kids leave is when you really can invest and uh, not relive the past, but remake things and start fresh in some ways uh, as a couple. Cause I've changed a lot since I first met Dina. She's changed. We're not the same people. There's a lot to discover and a lot to benefit from. And I've told my kids, there's a beauty in a long-term relationship because nobody knows me like Dina and she loves me. She accepts me. She supports me. Uh, that's a gift. Mm. Well, you model marriage well, and, and obviously you've hosted so many different people talking about it on the show and, you kind of alluded to the fact that when you get married, you're marrying a person at a certain season and stage of their life and of your life. And of course, uh, you know, I think it was Dr. The late Dr. Tim Keller who said, you know, we always marry the wrong person because that person changes as mm-hmm. do we. And so yeah. obviously we need to, uh, evolve with it and, uh, evolve with them and, uh, mature. And, and, um, that's an important reminder for people who may be going through a difficult mm-hmm. season right now. Yeah. Um, Uh, My name is Paul Batura. This is What a Life, Lessons from Legends. Uh, We've been talking with John Fuller. Uh, When we come back from the break, we're going to get into some uh, interesting things. If you're a Focus on the Family aficionado, you love the program, you're curious about some of the history, we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about John's recollections of working with Dr. Dobson and his current time with Jim Daly. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 